This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culchin Ford. Bird Culchin Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into the Thanksgiving week edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. Also, the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 page, which is where you are finding us live. Thursdays at 11, or excuse me, Tuesdays at 11.15. Already getting ahead to Thanksgiving later on this week, but Tuesdays at 11.15. And uh, that is uh, where you can find us on the YouTube channel, but also uh, after the fact via your favorite podcast feed, however you are getting us. Uh, we do appreciate your time as always, and thank you for being a part of of the show if you would just hit like and subscribe and we would uh kindly appreciate that but craig smoke with you as always sikkim365.com uh writer and also a show host and joined as always by grayson grunhafer director of broadcasting at sikkim365 you even got a little cameo there from jack in the background as well as he runs the mothership uh but grayson thanksgiving week one more week to go in the regular season after a loss to tcu that we will be talking about here over the course of the next several minutes, 42-17 frogs over the Bears. We'll get to that, but just uh, how you feeling this week, man? I mean, thank goodness this season is almost over. I mean, I, I need Thanksgiving. That's what you're thankful here, for? So, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, this has just been a just dreadful year, and it just has gotten worse and worse and worse and just kind of ready for this season to, to be over and see what direction Baylor goes in after this year. I, I kind of have my mind on kind of where that's going, but I think that we're still all kind of waiting to see exactly what ends up happening by the end of the season and what, what Mac Rhodes decides to do and kind of where the Baylor program goes from here, because it's been that bad of a year. I mean, to be honest, I know they have three wins, but you know, you could point to those three wins kind of being fluky, to be honest, outside Long Island. Yeah, I don't know really what you're even accomplishing by pointing to the three wins and trying to make an argument yeah. of any sort. It's like, okay, so they won three games. What is your point? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like it's good. Uh, so, yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, that's not even an argument that really does anything to prop up what has yeah been a very long, trying, uh, just difficult season. Three and eight now, the record wins over UCF and Cincinnati. Uh, both of those went deep into the game, in the case of Cincinnati, or UCF especially. And then really the only game that you quote-unquote dominated was Long Island, and you didn't even really look all that great doing that. So we have not really seen a gr- great performance um, from them all year. Maybe like the Utah showing until the end. You could say like games where they played relatively well, but as far as like a four-quarter game and getting the win and then turning that into something else, like that has not happened at all this year. And so, yeah, here we are. It's week 12, one more game to go, and uh, then regrouping uh, in some form or fashion with the offseason, with the decision obviously to be made on what you're going to do with your coaching staff um, and what you're going to do with your roster eventually and what all that entails, I mean, that's going to be the part to sort through, but there will be no bowl game. We know that. So this is it. This is it on Saturday. And, you know, I, I hate to say that because I know there's a lot of families and players and it all means a, a great deal to them. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of ready for it to be over as well, just because uh, I've had my fill. Like we've yeah. seen, tw- we've seen 11 games so far and we've seen them go three and eight. And so, yeah, at this point, I'm kind of like, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it and what it looks like. And I'm, I've kind of had enough. Of, like no more turkey, please. I've right. already, I've already had my, my, 
13 or my 12 plates of it. Yeah, and I feel really bad for these seniors too because I have a I have a feeling that the attendance for this West Virginia game is going to be brutal. Mm-hmm. Like just absolutely brutal to watch and, and they don't deserve that. Like they don't, but it, it's just the reality of the situation that has occurred this year. And uh, there's some seniors that have been at Baylor for a really long time. You look at TJ Franklin, Gabe Hall, and so that that's going to be really hard to see and watch. But I mean, it's where the program is at currently, just based on this season. I, I know people want to say write off the program completely because of one year, but it's really just one terrible year and obviously a terrible end to last year that have kind of really soured the taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah, I mean, this is going back a while now. I mean, we're talking, what was it, the thrown out the other day? It was like 3-12 and 12 in the last 15 games. Yeah, it's the, uh, what is it, ever <laughs> since, like, it was beat Oklahoma for the second time in program history on the road, and then just all these losses have been piled on top, and that even includes a crazy good performance against TCU that they just couldn't capitalize on last year. Yeah, so um, here we are. It's the last week of the regular season, and you can tell just – by us uh, that there's frustrations there's disappointment and there's some angst over what the future steps look like and it uh, didn't get any better with their latest effort you thought like okay a couple games ago just try to play as well as possible and maybe even sneak out a win or two Um, but against TCU that was not to be the case and so uh, there are questions surrounding Dave Aranda even if he's back there has to be staff changes of some sort Um, even if he's back there has to be roster changes of some sort um, and so, you know, that's all well and good, and that would be a lot easier to believe and get down with if they hadn't done that last year. They yeah. just did that last year, all that that I just mentioned. And so um, that's not like the selling point any longer. It's like, okay, well, two years ago it was your offensive coaches and some retooling of the roster, and then last year is your defensive coach coaching and your roster, and this year is going to be what exactly? And so – that's that's harder to sell now because you've kind of already done that a couple of times. Yeah, that that is hard. I mean, after the 2020 season, it was very clear they had to make offensive changes. I mean, that was just brutal to see. And they got those right in my eyes with Grimes and Mateos and the guys they brought in. But now you come full circle to this year and everyone's like, oh, the offense this and the offense that. And I, I'm just looking around just thinking, I mean, the defense is not good. The defense is really bad. And I know a lot of the blame has been on, oh, there's just a lot of young guys playing and things like that, and there's optimism about them being better next year. And it feels like the offense is kind of getting a lot of the blame where, and at times, they've kind of looked like the better unit. So I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I, you know, honestly, I, I don't know how they don't make a coaching change at this point. That's kind of where I'm at. Where Are you in the same spot, Craig? I, I think by this time next week, we're probably going to be talking about a, a new coach um, at not – we won't know who a new coach is per se, but I do think Baylor will probably move on. That's uh, my guess. Yeah, I get the hand-wringing over the defense, and I wasn't real inspired by his comments around Matt Pallage in his one-on-one with Smokey yesterday, which was just far too long to try and break down. It was far too complicated, but if you want to go back and listen to it, I mean, he gives Pallage like every bit of rope he can, saying that he should help more and do that, but then at the end of it, you just kind of feel like there's no hope there for them to get that turned around, it almost feels like. I mean, just because of the learning gap that's apparently there, but based on the way he was describing it, like, I can, like, lead him to water, but I can't teach him, or whatever the phrase, what is the phrase? Well, it was some, yeah, you can take a horse to water, but you can't force him to Yeah, and, like, that's kind of what it sounded like, and and maybe that's not the greatest comparison, but it's like, he's trying to help along the way, but there's very much a learning curve, and that's, that's like, a big learning curve, and, and like, a learning curve to the point we've seen it exploited in coaching matchups over and over and over and over again this year. Right. Where guys are out of place, Mm -hmm. or it's just 
missing tackles or it's whatever. So I, I give you like with a defensive head coach, granted defense doesn't look anywhere near where it should be, but I, I, I hear from a lot of people about like, well, you know, the offense is no, the offense is not okay. The it's offense no. is boring and you can't run the football. And if you can't run the football in this offense, it is almost entirely ineffective unless you were just having a career day passing week in and week out. So I'm not, I, I, I think that needs a lot, whatever, like defense needs changes. I don't know what those are, but offense absolutely does as well. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that you even had a year where an RVO, you know, off the reliable violent offense that is based on being able to run the football was totally an a, unable to, for the most part, run the football effectively at all this year. Like, and then you have to give me like the little spurt in this game, the little spurt, like we ran the ball. It's like you had like 150 yards. Like yeah. that's not what you should, you should be getting 150 yards. That's being you know, generous. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean though? And so it's like, that's even trying to get sort of talked up and it's like, they were ineffective at their bread and butter. And so it's everywhere you look, there's issues. So with that being said, and we got other stuff to get to, um, I, I thought last week if they at least kept it close with TCU that you were keeping hopes alive that you could you manage this and um, and be all right on the other end. But like they by the end they got blown out again, and they're not just losing games; they're losing games. They're getting blown out by most of the teams they're playing. Um, they're losing to all their rivals, all the in-state schools, even Texas State. Um, the strength isn't a strength. Uh, the you know the boils down from your head coach of what his expertise is at. Like, that's a total mess on that side of the ball. And then, you know, the other side that was, you know, what you felt like could probably at least carry its own weight, like, that struggled along all year. Now your quarterback's hurt in the, you know, before the finale. And so, yeah, I just, I feel like after last week, like, something, I, I don't know what, uh, I'm not calling for Dave Aranda's head or anything, but, like, I just don't know how you can keep doing this the way that it's currently constructed. And and I don't know if it's as simple as just changing coordinators because we've already seen that. We've seen right. that on both sides of the ball already, and it somehow feels worse this year. So I don't know. Um, I, I don't want to call for his firing, but, like, I just don't know how much longer you can go on without just ultimately saying, like, well, what else can you do? Right. And, and that's kind of where I'm approaching now. And I, I don't think it's calling for it. I think it's just more yeah. so just I kind of that's where I'm at, what I expect to happen just because of what we've seen. I, I mean, having a bad year is one thing, but having a year like this is a complete other thing. And the end of last year was also very brutal to watch. And so, yeah, it, it's hard. And it's hard for me to imagine, oh, yeah, you just change a coordinator. And now everything's good. Right. Whereas it very much seems like, okay, if you change coordinators going into next year, I mean, what's the best you can hope for record wise? And would that be enough to keep Dave Veranda? Because if it's not, then how do you just run it back? Like is six wins, seven wins, is that enough? After these two years, I, I don't know. Based based on me looking at that schedule already, that's about what they should hope for. Yeah, because uh, they could very well be one and two in non con again, mm-hmm. and uh, that Big Twelve schedule doesn't look like it's just a cakewalk either. So uh, ten I, Big Twelve games. I, I already looked at that, and I already thought like I, if I was predicting this right now, I'd at my most optimistic say like seven wins. Right, and so and that's. Is that enough? And that's based on nothing, obviously, because the team's not going to look like it does now. But I'm just saying, barring some miraculous roster healing and coaching, like, brilliant changes that make a huge Mm -hmm. difference, like, yeah, looking at that schedule, um, they're going to be, yeah, flirting with bowl eligibility again. And that's, what, year five? I mean, how long do you keep doing this thing? So I I think, I I do wonder if it doesn't come down to, like, a candidate or two or who would be in mind. And that's... 
going to determine what happens there. Can you land your top yeah. candidate? Can you can you make that change? Can it, you afford to make that change for whatever direction you're going to go in? Yeah, that's going to be probably the biggest question yeah, that has to be if, answered this if, week. If somebody's not out there that you really want, you're not going to fire a ram to just go get a guy and then you're stuck with him. Right. I mean, but yeah, uh, yeah I think that that I think it matters who A&M hires. I think it matters who A&M hires and I think it matters maybe what other jobs are being interviewed for. Um, and so uh, at some point, though, you've got to like time's ticking, and you got to make a call one way or the other. You mm-hmm. can't like just wait on the Aggies to make their move so that you know if this guy's available or not. Right. You know, so yeah, man, it's uh, it's. I mean, that's the most interesting thing about this. You know, as opposed to the games at this point, is now the talk about the off season, and that's unfortunate for the seniors. And it's unfortunate that, like you said, it is going to be a very interesting turnout at McLean Stadium on Saturday. Cold front just rolled through, so now it's cold, whereas it's been like pretty nice weather for the most part and it's Thanksgiving week and they're not a team that's playing for anything other than pride at this point and uh, so yeah that's all adding up to what could be uh, not that great of a showing on senior day and maybe Baylor fans will surprise us and maybe there'll be a bunch of West Virginia fans there we'll see on that but uh, yeah it's it's going to be an interesting showing uh, coming up here on Saturday and this conversation would be different, perhaps, if they had performed a little bit better against TCU, which they managed to actually perform pretty okay for about a half and, uh, well, about uh, two and a half quarters is what they managed to get out of this game, out of the four. And then the last quarter and a half were disastrous, and this turned into a blowout. So let's get into TCU so then we can move on and talk about all of the other things that are really, quite frankly, more interesting at this point, which is all of the speculation. Um, but as we do every week, we do take a look back at the game, and we're not going to go through the whole thing. And I, I say it sometimes, and we still do, but like literally like the last quarter and a half aren't worth delving too deep into here. So we'll do that. We'll get into some uh, preview as well of West Virginia, and then also answer the mailbag questions this week as well. Appreciate you joining us. Those of you along for the ride live or after the fact. But uh, this game started out with a, a five-play dr- opening drive that ended in a punt for the Bears after they gained all of 12 yards on uh, on four plays, uh, five plays, excuse me. Punted it away, and this is when things actually started to get a little bit wild. And you thought, okay, well, they got a little bit of fight into them. Opening drive, not great. Obviously, didn't really move the ball effectively. And uh, you turn right around and put your defense out in the field. Young Josh Hoover there at quarterback for TCU. And a sign of things to come, he would hit Jared Wiley for a 17-yard pass right out of the gates. And uh, am I tripping that they are really ineffective at, uh, against tight ends? Or is that just a thing that I've made up in my head? I just no, feel it, like when there's a capable receiving tight end, like they get crushed by that type of a player. It's happened at times, yeah. but not quite like not this. Like th- not this like, this. like this. Was I'm just saying guys getting like 60, 70 yeah, yards. JT Sanders. Yeah. Toasted them. Right. Uh, Bram- Brammer from uh, Iowa State had Kansas a good game State. against them. Sinet, he was pretty good. Yeah, I, m- I mean, yeah, I guess that's pretty fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was like a avalanche, though, from Jarrett Wiley. I mean, he was getting revenge on the quote-unquote hometown team for sure. Yeah. he's from Temple. Right. So he uh, gets the big 17-yard gain right out of the gates. Josh Hoover slinging it on around. They very quickly get into Baylor territory. Uh, they've got first and goal at the eight, throw for six, get down second and goal at the two, and here they're going to go up 7 nothing just like that, but a great play by Cooper Lands to force the fumble, and Caden Jenkins, who we'll talk about later, uh, he is able to scoop it up and return it 
uh, you know, for a 10-yard gain after the fact. Or, or no, it was longer than that. I guess it was officially well, 10 yards. Because the ball got kicked out. Kicked around, so yeah. So by the time he picked it up. But at first when I saw this play, I know it was Cooper Lance who forced the fumble. But at first I thought it was a butt fumble, like the Mark yeah. Sanchez play, because he right. just ran to his offensive lineman. But it was clear that Cooper actually did get his hand in there and forced fumble. And Caden Jenkins, Johnny on the spot again, a guy who just recommitted uh, to Baylor this week. Um, on Twitter, on social media. So, yeah, big play by the true freshman who's had an awesome year. So uh, the ball's kicked around, and eventually Caden Jenkins is able to pick it up, and by the time he's brought down, they're all the way out to the 31-yard line. And it was a huge play, obviously, as TCU was just two yards away from taking an early lead. So massive turnover there for the Bears and a little bit of excitement, and they actually turned that into something. An 11-play, 69-yard drive, a lot of different folks getting involved from Dom Richardson to Monterey, uh, well, not so much Monterey Baldwin, uh, to Dawson Pendergrass, to Keytron, well, not so much Keytron Jackson. This was one of those drives where you and I sit here and talk about how boring the offense is and how they can't create explosive plays. Well, here's the deal. Monterey Baldwin, you got to catch the football. I mean, that was right in his hands. Keytron's was a little bit more difficult because he's kind of looking up behind him and it's just kind of falling. He had to readjust. Monterey's was like, that's a play that, if you ask Monterey, he's catching that ball 10 out of 10 times, but not in this game. Drops it. Yeah, what well, would have been a huge play instead of a drop. Keytron Jackson, yeah, not as uh, had a little bit higher of a difficulty level, but another like, man, good teams make those plays. Yeah. And so two huge whiffs in the passing game where Shapin put it in a pretty good 50 spot. 50-plus yard throws, yeah. Yeah, and so instead you're just, you know, there's a loss of down and get back to the drawing board. And to their credit, they overcame that, and they were able to drive 11 plays and 69 yards in a little over four minutes. Eventually, it is a Blake shape into Dominic Richardson for a 10-yard touchdown. And uh, it is seven to nothing, Baylor, after this uh, opening drive, after the fumble recovery. Yeah, this was one of the best drives of the year for Blake Shapin. He was awesome on this drive. I know the two drops, but that throw to Jake Roberts uh, was just money. And then the third and four conversion to Josh Cameron was great as well. This was a great, great drive by, uh, by Blake Shapin. Yes, it was. So they kicked the ball back, and TCU proceeds of great drives until the end. 16 plays, 83 freaking yards, six and a half minutes off the clock. Kendall Browles doing his thing. And they're able to maneuver the ball down the field. Tons of plays, tons of time off the clock. And then another whoopsie there down near the goal line for uh, TCU as They uh, turn it over on downs on fourth and one at the Baylor six after not getting anything on third and one at the Baylor six. They say, you know what? We're rolling up our sleeves and we're going to get this yard and have first and goal at the five. And Baylor makes a play on defense, stuffs uh, Savion Williams, and they turn the ball over on downs on play on a 16 play drive. They turn the ball over on downs at the Baylor six yard line. So now you're like, what the heck? Defense has made two massive stops back-to-back. Never, Don't look behind the curtain. Never mind the fact that TCU was like at the five-yard line both times or like right on the goal line both times, and then they made a stop. Never mind all that. They made a stop. So another huge play. This is where it basically ends for the defense on the day, however, is drive number two. But nonetheless, they you know were able to you know, make some things happen early on at least. Yeah, and this kind of felt like the drive that Beller needed to have. 
this next one and they weren't able to get it going, but it felt like if you could drive all the way down the field and score again, get up 14 zero, it really felt like you could kind of take control of the game a little bit. And obviously that, as we're going to get to, that doesn't happen at all. Um, but yeah, just keep in mind, Baylor or TCU, two drives, two drives inside the five. It's going to be a reoccurring theme coming up here in a minute. Yes, it will be. So, you know, the turnovers mask, uh, what was, the defense getting pushed back all the way up to their backs were against the wall. Um, but they make a couple plays. That's what you have to do when you can't, you know, just get the three and outs. But um, nevertheless, this is basically where it would stop because Baylor gets the ball back. They are able to move it all of three yards. Three yards. First and ten, pass complete for three yards. Second and seven, run for no gain. Third and seven, passing complete. Fourth and seven from the nine-yard line. Punt out of bounds. So that was an impressive drive for this offense. TCU gets the ball with great field position, which would now be another common theme as well. And they proceed to go, okay, enough of this bull junk. We've already should have been up 14 to nothing or 14. It should be 14 to seven at this point. It's we're down seven, nothing, no more five plays, 40 yards, Amani Bailey, 27 yard touchdown run. And now it's tied up after all of that. It's tied up. And uh, we're just getting started here. Yeah, and a complete whiff of a tackle by Chateau Reed on that Imani Bailey touch. It's been just so reoccurring for Baylor. I mean, it's not just guys missing tackles. I mean, we're talking not even touching him, not even slowing down the running back, just a complete whiff. And if you whiff on the initial tackle like that, you're going to give up touchdowns. You're going to give up explosive plays. They gave up one there. Uh, A bad look and now a third drive that has gone inside the five this one for a touchdown three for three is tcu at this point so baylor gets the ball back and in a common theme this week as well is turning the ball over on downs uh nine plays 62 yards they get it all the way down to the tcu eight yard line i'm thinking kick the field goal here but they decide to go for it on fourth and three and uh, dominic richardson's only uh what he gets stopped, right? Yeah, um, for on, negative five. Yards, neg- okay, it says five here. Yeah, That's but why. I think he lost like every inch of a yard, and it was. I mean, Craig, how many times are we going to sit here and continue to hear that Baylor runs the ball on third and four or whatever to get closer so that then they can go for it on fourth down? How many times has that really worked this year for Baylor? It hasn't. Yeah. It really hasn't. You're putting your team at such a disservice because this team is so much better when they're able to throw the ball with Blake Shape and on downs that aren't obvious passing downs. But obviously they think different, so they run the ball on third down and then run it again on fourth down and get stuffed. And you're exactly right. I would have just kicked field goal there, but nope. Yeah, nope. And I mean, you know what? In the, looking at the final score, it wouldn't have made much of a difference, but you don't know that because at least you get points and then you're like, okay, it's, you know, uh, 10-7 and you at least like are getting points but instead you're stuffed you, you lose yardage and uh it is now tcu football two plays 87 yards and game's over after this basically two plays 87 yards as jared wiley hits uh the 81 yard gain on the pass from josh hoover and it is all of a sudden 14 to 7 tcu yeah nobody near him I mean, just ran us right down the seam. Touchdown, complete blown coverage. And, yeah, I mean, when you give up an 81-yard touchdown to a tight end, the guy's got to be wide, wide open. So, yeah, I mean, a, a tough play and kind of exactly what you see, right? You decide, oh, you're not going to kick field goal. Two plays later, you're down 14 seconds. This is like, see, those are the sequences that just drive you mad, and that's where you're like, okay, they can't possibly do this again. Like, they can't yeah. do this for another 12 games where – 
You know, it's missed tackles, it's blown assignments, it's not being in the right spot. It is week 11 of the season, or week 12 actually, but it's game 11. Like, how are these still issues? And then it's, well, it's the young guys are playing, but like, we've heard that all year long too. It's just, if it's not one thing, it's another thing. But the thing is, we hear all of the same things all of the time. And so those are what the issues are. Um, and so you can't, you know, correct everything. And it is what it is in some cases, but... That's the stuff that's like, all right, how are you going to convince the folks that need to be convinced that that's going to be all that different next year? And that's, that's I guess, what they're trying to, uh, in Aranda's case, figure out right now, but also prepare for this final game. So it is suddenly 14-7. to Baylor is able to go on a pretty lengthy drive, 11 plays, but just 44 yards, um, and they end up with a uh, an opportunity to maybe put some points on the board but they can't get any farther than the TCU 29 yard line end up settling for a 48 yard field goal which is good and not to be taken for granted but this time they kick the field goal and granted they're a little farther back but maybe learned their lesson on the previous try and this was a longer conversion as well but no matter 48 yard field goal is good and uh, that would do it before halftime as a TCU would get the ball back, and quite frankly, with 43 seconds left, plenty of time to go and score, but then Josh Hoover got sacked, and that basically ruined their chances, and they just let the clock run out. So they go into the half up 14-10. to 10. At this point, I was feeling pretty okay that it was a close game. Definitely left some points on the board. Defense hasn't stopped Jack other than a couple of turnovers. But, uh, hey, it's 14-10. to 10. That's... That's doable in the second half. Yeah, no punts for TCU. No, um, I mean, really the only thing stopping them was themselves in this football game. And they made inside the five every single drive outside of the one where they only had one play, um, which was right before the half. So yeah, 14-10, you feel like, hey, Baylor's still in this game. And Baylor was moving the football. Like, you kind of felt like Baylor could score in the 20s, in the high 20s, maybe even 30 if they actually converted their chances. Yes, so it's 14-10 coming out of the half. Uh, TCU gets the ball first, and they have a beautiful opening drive. Nine plays, 81 yards, and this one ends with, guess who? Jared Wiley, 28-yard touchdown. By the way, he was the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week, and I uh, by the end of the game, I uh, had a really re- uh, annoying reoccurrence that, that – has been also part of the the season all year long as well, where the announcers inevitably by the end are needing things to talk about. And they're like, man, if this team could just play like this every week. And it's like, yeah, yeah they're playing Baylor. That's kind of the, the that's what everybody's been doing. They, well, and, and the announcers got every name wrong on the football field the entire day. It was <laughs> real, well, just a terrible performance. Sorry, I actually listened to the audio in the game. It, it was really hard to listen to. But uh, yeah, I think this actually for me, was when the game was over. Because, yes, Jarrett Wiley scores a touchdown, but it is absolutely 1,000% how he scored this touchdown. Y'all, it is third and 25 at the Baylor 28-yard line. And Baylor comes out in press coverage on third and 25. Like, it's not like you're going to get beat over the top. You just have the end zone there. You got to keep everything in front of you. And what does Baylor do? Just leave the tight end wide open who beat his man, and then he just runs right into the end zone, gets hit after the first down marker. I mean, it was that I could not believe what I was watching, that they were in press coverage instead of playing off and seeing the ball in front of them. I could not believe it. You give up that touchdown, it felt like, okay, Baylor's not getting a stop all day is what that felt like. And so, yeah, you hear the score there, and then you hear Grayson's description and you realize it was even worse than you imagined. And take this into consideration. Jared Wiley on just two catches on the past two drives has over 100 yards receiving. On two catches over the course of two drives. 
uh, including, yes, a 28-yard touchdown on third and 25. That is just absolutely inexcusable. Like, no good teams give up any types of plays like that ever. Um, and and if there, there has to be – I don't even want to justify and make it sound like it happens no. with any sort of occurrence. That is just awful. Um, and I'll just leave it there before I start going off the rails with how bad that is. Third and 25, you give up a 28-yard touchdown. So it's 21-17 to 17, uh, TCU at this point. Um, or no, excuse me, it's 21-10 TCU at this point. And here's really the last hurrah of this entire football game as Baylor would respond. Their first drive of the second half, seven plays, 75 yards, pretty nice little drive. Blake Shapin runs it in. From two yards out after a big gain to Drake Dabney on the play before where he goes for nearly 50 yards on the gain on first and 10, taking it from midfield all the way down to the two, and then it's shaping right afterwards, and this is about as healthy as he would be for the rest of the game as well, but he takes it in, and so it is 21-17, to and you're like, all right, there's a bit of life here. Despite all the mistakes, there's been a little bit of life and uh, this is about, like I said, where that would start to go to the wayside. Yeah, another good drive for Shapin here. Uh, 24 rushing yards and then that 48-yard pass to uh, to Dabney. Great catch by Dabney, too, who's looking just better and better each week. I, I, I think I agree with Travis Roeder, who's written on the side a few times. He looks like a guy who could get drafted, and I kind of think he will. He's had a very, very nice year for the Bears. And, yes, you're exactly right. This was pretty much the last bit of momentum Baylor would have. So let's not try to break this down too scientific just to save ourselves time. But TCU would just go ahead and say, screw this mess. We're going to go blow this thing open now. So they go nine plays, 83 yards. It's 28-17. to Josh Hoover runs it in from three yards out. Baylor, nine-play drive. They turn it over on downs when a fourth and 11 pass at midfield. Uh, falls incomplete to Dawson Pendergrass. Talk about having no confidence in your defense. Fourth and 11 at the 50, and you could punt it, pin them deep. You're only down 11, and instead they don't. Also on that other drive, Josh Hoover running all over Baylor. Also inexcusable, but yep, 28-17. It is 35-17 after they would get the ball back after the stuff at midfield and go eight plays, 50 yards. Trey Sanders, two-yard touchdown run. It's 35-17. to Baylor... Turns it over on downs again. Four plays. All of six yards gained. TCU gets the ball back. One play, 31 yards. Amani Bailey, touchdown. It's 42-17. to 17. Baylor gets the ball back. Seven plays, 16 yards gained. Turn it over on downs again. TCU turns it over on downs to basically close out the game as uh, they... They, it almost feels like they called off the dogs, quite frankly. I don't think that they would have, given it was Kendall Browse and he was trying to score as much as possible, and they did go for it on 4th and 10 at the Baylor 23. Um, <laughs> but that fell incomplete, and that's the only thing that saved them from not giving up more points because there was still 2.45 left on the clock, and if they would have gotten a first down, best believe they're punching that in. So uh, no punts on the day for TCU. You had them turn it over on a fumble and on downs, and then at the end on downs as well. That but other it. than that... They score touchdowns on every single drive. Um, So uh, 42-17 is what ends up being your final as a game that was at one point in time, uh, what, 21-17, ends with a 21-0 run where all Baylor does uh, on their drives to close the game are turn it over on downs every single time while TCU scores every single time touchdowns, not just scores, uh, except for the final drive where, you know, they, they were still in 
deep in Baylor territory and a first down away from adding another touchdown uh, eventually as well. So absolute bloodbath for the last quarter and a half of this game. Wasn't a real pretty performance in general. Um, managed to stay close for a good little while despite some mistakes, but by the end of it, this just felt like a lot of the other ones and felt like a, a really bad loss. Not embarrassing, but borderline embarrassing, depending on who you want to talk to. Like I'm just at this point kind of numb to it, I'll be honest with you. So uh, my embarrassment levels are just sort of non-existent at this point. No, this was embarrassing. Fair this enough. A, I don't, yeah, call whoever you want to. This is a four and six team that you just got blown out by. This is absolutely embarrassing. TCU was two and five in conference play coming into this game. I know they people might think they're better than that, sure, but they're probably going to lose this weekend and be five and seven. And you lost forty-two to seventeen to them. I I don't know. I to me that's pretty embarrassing. And also, uh, we need to mention in this game, Blake Shapin is out there down forty-two to seventeen yep. with two forty left. He takes a huge hit, and now he's probably not playing in their final game. He's out there for no reason and. Yeah, now he's hurt. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, talk about that after the fact, but Blake Shapin was out there for their next-to-last drive, and uh, he does get dinged, and he is now most likely out for this final game as uh, he was just dealing with all sorts of things. I mean, taking a bunch of hits, uh, which is par for the course, and uh, then by the end of it, Dave Aranda uh, having to go to Sawyer Robertson uh, there at the end to close this thing out on the final drive, um, or I guess – midway through the final drive because that's when Shapin got hurt was on the final drive. Um, But Sawyer Robertson closes it out, so to speak. And by the end of it, we're hearing a rend in the postgame talk about head and chest injuries being looked at. And I don't know what they eventually settled on because they're still technically, you know, monitoring him this week. But it feels like uh, they are not going to um, to not have him available. And Jack said his head is is what the oh yeah that's what he said. He did yeah. say that. That's right. I forgot that he did clarify. So yeah, it is a head injury. And he so, talked yeah. about Sawyer and how Sawyer's mm-hmm. gonna get a great chance. He basically right. said Sawyer. He basically start said it without weekend. saying it. Yeah, yeah but yeah, so, he did clarify. So thanks, Jack, I, for reminding me of that. And I do want to mention Blake Shapin. I mean, if he doesn't play this weekend, I felt like he's played about as well as you possibly could yeah. given the circumstances. He's been a warrior for this team. I, I've been so impressed by him. The step he's taken as a leader the step he's taken as a player uh, he got a lot of flack coming into this year and a lot of people were saying you know he's not the guy he can't do this and I know the results haven't been good for the team but I have felt like he's probably been their best player all uh, year literally other than Drake Dabney on offense yeah. their best player um, and you can make the argument he was better than Drake Dabney because of all he had to do and Dabney was really only solid when Shapin has been playing yeah so fair enough so I mean, best player on offense um, and then Probably best player on the team because I mean, who on defense? Caden Jenkins is the, and I don't even, I don't. I mean, are, and we're we're going just off the fact he's had interceptions. Yeah. You know, like are we really breaking it down all the way to the he's ground? Had, he's had some tough stretches right. here and there, as Blake has as well. But point I would, is, yeah, Blake's been their best. Blake's player. their best player, and he gets hurt at the very end of this game on the final drive, and people, of course, wondering why he's even in there. And that's that's easy to say after the fact, but it's it's a valid point. Um, especially when he's gotten as dinged up as he has. So now, uh, likely out. We'll see. But anytime you're talking about a head injury just days after the fact, I mean, just simply knowing what he's going to have in front of him again, are you going to throw him out there against West Virginia and just hope that game 12 is when the offensive line is able to protect him finally? So, this yeah. Is a Sora Robertson game. And that great for him. He needs the reps. And we kind of need to see what Baylor has in him as well. Yeah, so um, looking like that'll probably be the case, but that was it. That was that was the game. 42-17, TCU, their fourth straight win in this series. Um, they've dominated for the last decade. 
Uh, ever since 61-58, the Bears have won just one single game in this series. That was 2019. Was it 2019? Yeah, with Matt Rule. Yeah, the um, triple overtime game. That yeah, was absurd. Trying to get my years right as far as his tenure. Yeah, 2017 was his first year. What, so yeah, John it was 2019. 59-yarder or something yeah. crazy. So, and, and they've beaten them in like every way imaginable. Like blowouts, done that. Home and away, done that. Close games, home and away, done that. The Jalen Rager just yeah. win a game with one play. Score a bunch of points win, score a few points win, you know, give up a bunch of points still win, give up a few points still win. Like, any scenario, they've done it. Any yeah. scenario they've won over the last decade, and Baylor's managed just the one win. So uh, the blue bonnet battle uh, goes to TCU, and they get to keep that trophy up there in Fort Worth and, you know, good. <laughs> and and have that and like I you know honestly I know there's still a rivalry aspect but this was so by the end of it I'm like this doesn't even feel like a rivalry at this point like I'm sure if your boots on the ground there if you're a TC or Baylor grad you feel like it but it's from the outside that you would have no indication this was a rivalry um, and so um, here we are where it's the final week of the season and it's West Virginia week and Grayson uh, your thoughts I guess as they get ready for one more ride here in 2023. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be facing a team that's had a really nice bounce back year in West Virginia. I mean, they're seven and four on the year, looking to get that eighth win for Neil Brown. Uh, let's not forget they had to play on the road at Penn State at the very beginning of the year. So, I mean, this team has been a very quality team all season long, and uh, they can run the ball very effectively with CJ Donaldson, Jaheim White. Uh, they have a good quarterback in Garrett Green, who is very much a dual threat, very, very good runner, a guy who can definitely hurt you with his legs, which Baylor has struggled with all year and I, I expect West Virginia to come in here and just run the football as much as they possibly can um, and we'll see if Baylor adjusts we'll see if the seniors really step up and have a, a great performance Gabe Hall TJ Franklin Matt Jones you know what do those guys bring to the table in this game to try to stop that attack um, and then on the flip side defensively West Virginia can give up points they can get beat there um, but this Baylor offense has been inconsistent um, and so if Sora Robertson's going to have success, I think it's going to come with his legs, and then they're going to have to hit on some deep shots if they're going to want to keep this game close because I fully expect West Virginia to put up 30-something points on Baylor, and I'm not sure if Baylor can get to that number. Baylor Actually, hasn't put sure up they won't. more than 25 in a month Yeah, um, since they beat Cincinnati 32-29. They've only put up 30 uh, three times this, or no, four times this year. Texas State, when they gave up 42 and scored 31, they won 36 to 35 over UCF in the fourth quarter comeback. 32 against Cincinnati on the road. And uh, what was the other one I'm missing here? Uh, Long Island. Did I say Long Island? No, I think you Okay, I skipped over the 30 points, against Long, 30 points against Long Island. So, you know, yeah, like I was saying about the offense at the start, <laughs> the defense yeah. is an issue. They're giving up all sorts of points and, like, lots of points. They're giving up 42, 59, on average at least 30 a game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the offense is, like, struggling to hit – the mid twenties on a regular basis and thirties like, Oh man, that's, that's a special treat. So, you know, not trying to pile on here, but it's just bad. It's just, it's just bad all the way around. And uh, now there's one more game to go to kind of try to save face a little bit and go out with a win for your seniors and go out with a win on your home turf, which if you don't would mean that you finish one and seven at home this year. So, you know, that's two and six is better, but it's not great. And so, you know, there's the little things to play for, like getting a win at home, getting a win on senior day, but, you know, nothing grander beyond that as far as bowl games been off the table for a couple weeks. 
Um, and now it's just a matter of like what happens after this game's over with, right? Like what happens in this game, I guess. We, let's just enjoy one more game, no matter how tough it's been. But then after that, like what happens after that game's over with? That is the million-dollar question for this football team at the moment. I, I think so, too, regardless win or lose, because yeah. I think the answer's probably going to be the same, regardless of what happens in this game. And I, I fully expect Baylor to not win this game. But I, I just I, I think that that is the biggest question going into this. This matchup against West Virginia is not great anyways. It's going to take a very um, a performance from Baylor that we haven't seen all year for them to win this game. And I don't, I don't see why that would happen in game number 12. Yeah, I mean, at this point, yeah, why would that change all of a sudden? But Garrett Green has been pretty effective. He's had some not-so-great moments. He's still growing as a quarterback in some ways, but he's very experienced, very good running the football, improving as a passer. Um, I wouldn't expect you to give up 400 yards like you did to Josh Hoover, um, but who the heck knows at this point. Uh, for sure fear what they're going to give up on the running game, though, with uh, Donaldson white green i mean that trio alone uh, did a lot of damage last week for west virginia on the ground as they were able to just pile up the yardage against cincinnati 424 Uh, yards rushing i mean they ran all over them garrett green and jaheim white carried the day donaldson had kind of limited reps in that game but green has gotten a lot better and i will give you know west virginia a ton of credit here their offense has taken a huge step forward since their defense kind of started taking a step back about midway through the season and that's been very impressive to watch i you know, you and I were both, when Neil Brown was hired, we both liked the hire, and it just hadn't worked out for a variety of reasons, but I- I'm happy for him. They've had a good year. They've really rebounded nicely, uh, even despite all the criticism, despite being picked 14th, which was an absolute joke uh, in the conference preseason poll, and now they are where they are with a chance to finish 6-3 and three in conference play, which would be uh, a very, very good year for that, that school and that team. Yeah, and also give them a chance to go what uh, eight and four in the regular yeah. season, and then win nine games if they can, uh, you know, win a bowl game. So that would seem to save the job of one Neil Brown uh, already. But certainly, if they were able to pull that off, you would expect they're going to be eight and four, and that would be a good enough uh, showing to get the uh, get the run back to next year. But also. Um, you know they're uh, they're just a, yeah an improved football team, but there is still plenty of angst in that uh, mm-hmm. fan base that still does not believe he's the guy. For sure. But if you go out and you win eight nine games, like you can't fire that guy because what message does that send to the next head coach of like when we just get tired of you, it really doesn't matter how many games you win, we're just going to fire you anyways. Like yeah. oh sign me up please for that job. Yeah, I do think they have a lot of veterans on this team, and so maybe that's why West Virginia fans are weary because it's kind of like oh this was the perfect storm. They went eight and four, and now next year is going to be a down year, but. I think they got some things training in the right direction. There's some young guys that are playing for them as well. I've been impressed with their style of play and how they've won some of these games. Yeah, and those young guys include all of the runners that we've mentioned, uh, Garrett Green and C.J. Donaldson and Jaheim White, uh, all would be back next year on paper at least. So um, there's something amongst other things to build around. Um, I mean, anything you want to dive into with them, they have a good defense. They have an offense that at times is very dynamic, but um, certainly can run the football pretty effectively and show that last week. There there are some weeks where it's a little hit or miss. I think that kind of depends on the opponent, quite frankly. But against Baylor, like – Again, not trying to pile on, but I mean, what are we? What are, I don't think they're going to shut down the run game and then you know force Garrett. I don't think they're going to do any of that. So uh, I'm curious to see uh, you know what West Virginia brings to the table. But um, you know, based on the Baylor defense, 
Um, and, and their struggles offensively, it's, it's kind of hard to see too many pass here to, to victory unless they just play a really sharp right. you know, game and get turnovers and, and convert turnovers and do all of the little things that winning teams do, but that have been sort of hard to come by this year. Well, I mean, since the Houston game, which as we know, they lost on a Hail Mary crazy play, um, they are scoring at a very high rate. They had 39 against Houston, 34 against Oklahoma State, 41 against Central Florida, 37 against BYU, 20 against Oklahoma where they got blown out, and then 42 against Cincinnati. So, I mean, against a Baylor defense that's probably the worst in the Big 12 or at least right there in the conversation, I mean, they shouldn't have much problem scoring probably 34-plus points. And that's an issue for Baylor because Baylor's not scoring at that kind of level. I think Baylor could probably score 20-something on them, but I don't think you're going to be able to get to that 34 number. Um, They run the ball very efficiently. That's been a big thing for them. They've been running for pretty much over five yards a carry the entire year. I think 5.1 yards per carry for the entire season, uh, 9.2 yards per carry against Cincinnati. So really got rolling there. And the past game has just been about efficiency for Garrett Green. He'll make mistakes. He'll turn the ball over here and there. But his ability to run the football and then guide the offense just enough throwing the football really sets up their run game. And so, again, they're going to attack Baylor in a variety of ways. Um, honestly, this offense is a little different different than most that Baylor have has played this year. Just with his uh, dynamic ability as a runner, uh, it's very, very different. And then they're very physical up front as well. Uh, defensively, like I've said, they've had some problems this year at times. You know, they've given up over 400 yards of total offense five times, so they can get got there. Um, and they're probably going to give up 300 yards to Baylor, but Baylor's probably going to need 400, honestly, to win this game, and I don't see them getting there. Yeah, hard to... Uh imagine that they hit that mark um they i mean they are very much a case study in having yards though and then not resulting in points you know terrible red zone off so if anybody's gonna score 400 yards and have like 23 points off of that it would be the baylor bears it's them cincinnati and ucf yeah they all they all are like oh yeah 400 yards easy and then you look at the scoreboard it's like ucf had 480 yards against tech this weekend they scored 23 points Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things if you're not efficient on third down or in the red zone it's very very difficult to be consistent so right now as it stands uh cincinnati is a slight favorite uh, in this game coming up this weekend, six and a half is what I saw at last glance, and West I'll check Virginia, again. You mean? Or who did I say? Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Uh, West, yeah, West Virginia. I think it's eight and a half now. Okay. Oh, this is going to blow up since Shapin basically got ruled out. I bet this ends at like 11 or 12. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. There's time, a couple more days to go. I guess more than that, actually, a handful of days to go until this game. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's now up to eight and a half in some spots. So yeah, there you go. Eight and a half point favorites on the road, mind you, as well. Yeah. They're eight and a half point favorites. So uh, not surprising when you're one and six at home and you're three and seven or three and eight overall. Um, but man, what a what a tough year. And TCU is the latest chapter in what has been a tough year. And now we'll see what finishing touches West Virginia wants to put on this thing. But um, that'll about do it for that because we do have other yeah. things to cover. And I mean, I don't think everybody's, it's like early on in the year when things are going really competitive, you're like all about the, the breakdown of the game. Um, everybody, I think, now wants to hear about how do you fix this thing. So one of the things from this past week, at least news-wise, Grayson, was the um, talk about GXG Exchange, which is the NIL wing of, um, you know, around this program. And they are 
I guess, tweaking um, kind of the operations as far as what was more so a mindset of like everybody is equal and everybody gets paid the same. And that way we don't have any like this guy's better than that guy. And it's a nice idea, but everybody's on the same footing no matter who you are. Lovely idea, but not realistic. And that was the approach previously. Now they're saying, all right, we've got to change things up and we do have to in some cases, pay the star wide receiver, whether it's a high school player or it's a transfer portal guy or it's a guy on our team already. Um, we have to pay these guys, and some of these guys we're going to have to pay more than these other guys. And, yeah, Caden Jenkins deserves to get paid more money than 95% of the team. Blake Shapin deserves to get paid more than everybody on the team <laughs> practically. And and instead, they were making the same as, like, the long snapper, you know? And so – um, that was basically where they were. And again, it's a nice idea, but it's just not sustainable. And clearly it's not helping matters on the field in any way, shape or form. And so they are pivoting, changing, adapting, whatever you want to call it. Um, NIL gets to be such a touchy conversation around these parts, um, but they are, um, you know, changing things up and they're going to go more on, I guess, would you say as an individual pursuit or basis. And so what are your thoughts on that? What difference that makes? And, you know, just the idea in general of, of what they're trying to accomplish here. Right. It's more about fair market value now. And so it's going to be very representative of what you bring on the field is what you make off the field. And that's kind of what the, the hope is from this, whereas it had been just everyone gets the same amount of money, which that was never going to be sustainable. Um, it was interesting because Dave Randa mentioned that he had been a big, I guess, I don't even know how he wanted to put it, a, a problem with their ability to uh, get better at NIL or become more innovative and creative with it. Um, you know, he kind of alluded to that in his press conference, which was very interesting to hear. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be great for this team because it allows you to kind of go out and find some guys that are maybe higher end talents in the transfer portal. It also allows you to retain guys. And then in recruiting, it gives recruits a ceiling that they can get to, which is very, very important because obviously if you're like, Hey, you're going to make $20,000 for four years at Baylor. That's just what you're going to make every single year. That's very different than at another school that says, hey, you're going to make 20000 your freshman year, but you have the chance to make 100000 a year or something along those lines. That's going to be very important for this program and a very nice change for Baylor. Because as we know, they've been doing fine when it comes to total money that they've been using uh, NIL-wise when it comes to them versus the rest of the Big 12, but it was the high-end potential that was kind of dragging behind, and, and now they've answered that. Yes, and so that plays into um, an NIL decision that was seemingly made prior to the game. I didn't love the timing because my worst fears were realized when TC went and blew them out. So it kind of, you know, pushed to the side the great news from before the game. But that news was that Caden Jenkins, their freshman defensive back, had um, after some days of teasing that a decision was on the horizon, which you're like, okay, here we go. Um, and Rand has already admitted in multiple interviews here lately of like their guys are getting recruited. It's fully transparent. I mean, it's not a secret. Um, and no surprise that Caden Jenkins would be one of those guys. But you wondered, is like he going to bail right before the TCU game? Like, what are we talking about here? And then on Saturday morning, after some teasing, he eventually puts out that he's staying with Baylor, basically. Um, again, probably would have been better on Sunday because then at least you like wash the taste out of the loss, or out of your mouth of the loss. But regardless, beggars can't be choosers. And so you want Caden Jenkins back. In theory, you have him back. I still don't think, like, if there's a coaching change, like, do we have to do this all over again? That's my question. But 
Uh, yeah, he recommitted to Baylor, which is just a sign of the times that you're even doing that with a guy who's not even been around for an entire year yet, that right. you're recommitting publicly. But that is this era, for better or worse. And so um, take good news where you can get it, and that was obviously good news. Uh, so your thoughts on on Caden Jenkins, and he won't be the only one. I mean, there's already other guys getting recruited. I think you look at who's getting playing time, who isn't. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I would imagine like somebody's probably had to reach out to Richard Reese at this point and go like, "Hey, why aren't you running the football at all this year?" Or um, any any of the young guys in the secondary, or um, you know, maybe uh, Drake Dabney who's got a year of eligibility left, or you know, whoever you think would be valuable and have an offer out there, they probably have an offer or getting talked to at this yeah. point. I think Dabney Dabney's done, isn't he? I don't think so. He's not. With a COVID year too? Yeah, I think his COVID year. Ah, I'd have to look, but I, I think, think so. I thought he was done. Okay, um, maybe so. But, but either you way, get the I, point. Get, I get what you're saying. I mean, and that's going to be something that it was a huge conversation on my chat this week. Everyone asking, you know, who are the players who could transfer and all this. I'm not going to get into speculation. I think you can look at the roster and kind of have guesses as to what's going to happen and who might decide to leave. Bro, he's a um, fourth year senior. Okay, so he yeah. does have another. Okay. God couple years if i guess if you had the covid year right well because he didn't redshirt that eliminates one of the possibilities of a year doesn't it i don't know i don't know but um when you have the red shirt and the covid year and he was 2019 prospect he's a he's a true senior this year okay well either way um if he does have another year i still think he's probably going to go pro yeah probably but i mean somebody that sees him is like hey you want to play college football here's a hundred thousand dollars if you want to come play at ohio state or whatever that that's the point of the the whole mention here right um so yeah i mean i I think in general you can kind of get a sense for who is going to be here who might decide to look at the transfer portal and then also who baylor's going to look at to try to spend NIL money on, right, to try to keep. And we know a focal point is going to be the young players. Um, We know that that's definitely going to be an area that they keep in mind um, and definitely try to attack. And that's why Caden Jenkins was so big, because he's a true freshman who's already flashed. And you got to show that you're going to be able to pay those type of players premium money to be able to keep them. And so uh, that's huge. That's huge for this program. It it definitely sets a precedent going forward. A good one, in my opinion, because you got to be able to take care of guys. Fair market value is the biggest thing now. Um, And now they have a higher ceiling at Baylor through NIL, which is going to be very, very good for recruiting and especially for the transfer portal and for your current roster, which is going to be Massive. I mean, we heard Mike Elko this week for Duke. He's like, this year's going to be crazy in the transfer portal. It's going to be just nuts, Wild West type stuff. And I fully expect that to happen for many programs, including probably Baylor. Yeah, and he's at a school like Duke. So, of course, he's going to throw out the Wild West stuff, especially at a school like that. But it's, you know, he's going to be as affected as anybody uh, likely will be because he doesn't have Michigan money or A&M money to sit there and like, let's just load it up and get the, get the cash ready. Um, he's got to talk about it and be a little bit more fearful of it, I think. And I think if you're Baylor, you do to some extent as well. And so they responded by tweaking some uh, approach to the, the NIL market. Um, and yeah, it's, it's weird to think that now you're having to worry about money for your current team, your money for your incoming recruits and then your money for the transfer portal guys which would lump into the incoming recruits but incoming recruits are more or less talking about your your natural recruiting that you do uh the traditional recruiting that you do so yeah now the money's being divvied up in all those ways and that's just to maintain and bring in guys not to mention everything else that you have to still tweak and fix and and work on but yeah i mean at least you know there's a 
a proper monetary focus and setup when it comes to the roster. Not that there hasn't been before, but it's just being talked about a bit more because of the circumstances and the fact that they are going to more of an individual player-by-player approach. And so if you are a big-time player, you will command more money than um, you know everybody else on the team, and that just only makes sense in the long run. So they tried it one way. Didn't work to the to the best of their abilities, and so now they'll try it like everybody else has basically already been doing. As Aranda pointed out, he's pretty sure everybody in the Big Twelve is already doing it this way. Everybody around the country is pretty much doing it this way. And I, as you said, it's not even so much a dollar figure that Baylor is struggling with. It's just partly the approach mm-hmm. and um, probably the aggressiveness, and that's some of that falls on Aranda and. He has maintained that uh, he's willing to change, and he's not opposed to changing. It's part of growing as a head coach. The question is whether or not he'll have the opportunity to do that. And that's, again, what we're waiting to find out here over the coming days because until you know that, you don't really know where to start looking for what's to come. We, all, we just know that there's like a flash flood coming down the, the pipeline, and, at any, and like here in the next few days, it's going to round that corner. It's just a matter of like what, what, what boat are you on? Right. And like, or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How do you plan on surviving it? And um, we're just we're just waiting for for that time to start, but uh, man, the countdown is on. That's for sure. So uh, I guess anything else notes wise as far as football goes here? No, let's let's jump in the mailbag. We got a lot of questions this week. We'll probably answer some of the things that we would talk about anyways. All right, and I know there's basketball going on as well, men's and women's, but we'll we got plenty of time for that. And I think we got a lot of football kind of yeah. on the front. And we'll burner be able right to now. recap kind of what yeah. happened to Baylor. They got a couple big games this week, um, so we'll recap that next week for sure. Yep. So uh, just stay tuned for some of the uh, the basketball talk to come, but uh, pretty football focused right now with all the issues at hand ginger bear will kick off the mailbag how does a team decline as quickly as baylor has i know youth nil recruiting mistakes are several factors but i still don't understand how baylor could get this bad so quickly and not really improve at all this season and to hear him talk they have improved like you just don't see it the younger guys have gotten better but man it's really hard to see and, and you know it's like i said a couple weeks ago it's like I'll never pretend to be an X's and O's expert. It's just not my forte, what have you. But I don't need to be to see that, like, I shouldn't have to need, a, 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 a you know, the James Webb telescope to see, like, the little bit of improvement because mm. it's hard to see, man. It really is hard to see. Um, and I don't think you need to be a football expert to see it necessarily. Right. And so, I mean, answering this question, I think everything comes down to how poorly they evaluated this roster. I mean, it's very clear they need more transfers. They need more impact older guys to come in and help this team survive this season, especially on the offensive line. And then, I mean, even defensively, they need more bodies, more guys who were older and veteran leaders, and they didn't have it. And that's how you decline quickly nowadays. I mean, it's the same reason why Texas State goes from being one of the worst teams in the in division one to being what like an eight and four team they they lost more than that okay well seven and five whatever it may be but they're still it's a huge improvement from where they were and it's because they took like 50 transfers so things can shift quickly if you don't attack the portal uh quickly enough if you don't attack it enough you can leave holes on your roster and I, i think that's specifically what baylor did this year yeah uh they're six and five and uh yeah, at the same time, you're right, but at the same time, Dion did the whole roster makeover, and it's worked out. But they're still much yeah. better than they were a year Yeah, they're ago. better. Like it, it, and their problem was their depth got crushed, right. too. So as the season went on, they've been drastically worse because they don't have the depth behind you know the guys that they got in the portal. But I just think like that's the, that's the thing you can point to the most is they just missed the evaluation. There's no way Dave Randa can sit there and say he still thinks this is a Big 12 title roster. What, what was that, like a month and a half ago, two months yeah. ago? 
and then we look at what we see on the field like that. There's just a, a confusion between the two things there, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I also don't want to lay it all at the town's feet um, or the players' feet because in some cases they're already young guys and they do need time to grow, and they're not like five-star freshmen that just roll into Austin or Norman and are ready to play right away, and they do need some time to develop. But because of the roster, they're having to play mm-hmm. as much as they are or because of injuries, which aren't anybody's fault really. Um, but, you know, the coaching deserves some blame as well. I think across the board, you can look at um, the coaching staff, and I don't think there's anybody you just go like, no, they, everything's good. Everything's No, the offensive line is not good. The offense is not good. The, the wide receivers are not totally better. The running backs are worse. The you know, And all that plays into each other. So it's not like it's A.J. Stewart's fault that the line can't block for the run game and so on, or that you know they can't give shape and time to hit the receivers and allow them to get open, but... I mean, when you look around, like, what's better? The only position that I can point to, honestly, this year is the probably the coach that was on the big that people were the most concerned about, which was cornerbacks, Kevin Curtis. Yeah, I mean, bringing probably. in Caden Jenkins. Yeah. I mean, they were terrible a year ago. They've been better. Yeah, but, they've recruited well too. But um, yeah, coming off of uh, last year, you were you're kind of hoping for more than that, and so it's been tough. In your opinion, what's the probability Aranda and the rest of the staff are fired after this season? It's sad to say, but given our record this season, I don't see a good argument for keeping Aranda next season. Thanks for all that y'all do. Appreciate y'all's positive yet realistic commentary. Not ask hope is lost for Baylor football. We will rise from the ashes, sick and bears. Well, thank you. Ginger Bear, for the very nice words, and appreciate you being a part of the show. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I mentioned that I'm leaning towards that direction, so I'd probably put it at Honestly, right now, I think it's at like 70% that they're going to be fired. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I think they make a change. I'd say 65, 70% is probably about fair because I still would lean to it. If I had to put money on it, I'd say they're he's back. But I feel less and less confident as the days go by. So, it's yeah, it's about 65, 70%. Big Cheese 83, if staff members are let go after the game on Saturday, when do you think it'll be announced? Do you think it'll be fairly immediate post-game Sunday morning or will it bleed into next week? I would bet Sunday we would get an answer on uh, – well – I don't know if you come out with a statement if he's staying. I don't, I don't really right. know how that happens. But I think if he's going to be fired, I would think that it would be Sunday. I would think word gets out on Sunday, yeah. and it's kind of already out there because that's typically how it's already happened with some other jobs. So, yeah, I think you start maybe even Saturday night, you know, depending on how it goes down and how the game goes and all of that. But, yeah, it's probably – I'd say pre-Monday if, he's, if there's going to be massive changes at the top. Um, if it's a coordinator or something, that might wait till Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, but – yeah, that's probably about what it would be. Scotty B, the Baylor King, would impress you most about the Baylor women's basketball win over Utah. For me, it's not allowing Utah to have a lead in a single second. We're short on time here, Scotty. That's a great win for them. Yeah. Um, a big-time win for for them over Utah, though. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of thoughts on what impressed me most. Huge. And I think, for me, it was their depth, something they didn't really have last year. But having Yaya Felder and Jada Walker and Dariana Little-Page-Bugs score you know, nine and seven points to go along with all the double-digit scores. They had four players in double digits. I mean, they really showed a lot more depth than they did at any time last year. Bear 19 how can leaving Blake in for that last series be justified? In my opinion, it can. If I'm personally deciding whether Randon needs to be let go or stay, it's pushing me to the fire category. One example of many of absolutely horrendous game management. I hope for Blake's sake this is just a one-week thing and does not linger. Shout out to Shapin for his warrior play throughout the year. Never once let up or publicly complained about the play around him. I'm very proud he's a Baylor Bear. Well said on Shapin. That's awesome. Yeah, great for Shapin. I mean, I can't justify it. I mean, it was ridiculous. Two minutes and 44 seconds left for him to be out there. And then, obviously, he takes that hit and it's exactly why he shouldn't be out there. So, yeah, I I was very, you know, that was awful to see. Um, But, yes, 
I love what you said about Blake Shapen. It, it has been a true warrior type season for him. He dealt with an injury, came back, kept playing hard even when they were struggling. And yeah, I think any Baylor fan should be proud of kind of what he's given to the program this year. Yeah, and you know, if he got a little bit of help here and there, like I mean, maybe they do win a couple more games, yeah. you know, but there's those big drops or there's not blocking or there's no run game to rely on and or you, you do score and then your defense gives up a touchdown right away. You know, like there's just this total lack of complimentary football that's been in place all year long and um you know like we said earlier probably the best player on the team overall uh 1b at worst but uh yeah he's had a a solid year given the circumstances for sure and i I think a lot of people have grown to appreciate him more um because of that useless kim degree have y'all heard anything surrounding how many players will leave this offseason i know baylor has a small recruiting class for high school so they have enough room to reshape the roster um so go ahead and answer that first yeah i I mean again i'm I'm not really sure an exact number, but I do think there's going to be a lot of changes. And if there's a new coach, it's going to be, I would think that if a new coach comes in, it's probably going to be like 20 to 25 players shake up on the roster. If Aranda stays, I still think he'll probably be like 10 to 15, maybe even more than that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a huge shakeup. They're going to have to bring in a lot of transfers. The small recruiting class helps that. Um, So yeah, I think that's where they're at um, at this point. And then did you read bonus question? I was going to. Bonus yeah. question, what's the first thing y'all are doing to celebrate the close of this season following Saturday night? Ah, jeez. Probably, I'm going to be with family, so maybe have, I don't know, a glass of whiskey or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to need something. take a deep breath and just be thankful that, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to, like, dunk too much on the team and football careers ending and all of that, yeah. you know? So I'm not trying to, like, rub salt in the wound, like I said earlier. But, yeah, I'm going to take a big, deep breath and just go, okay, at least we don't have to talk about that for a while. And yeah. we can start focusing on the fun changes because change is fun in the off season. You don't know what it's going to turn into, but you're able to reset and be optimistic that it's all going to be for the better. Like last year's off season when you thought, this is all going to be great, and then mm-hmm. reality hits. But in the meantime, you think it's great at the time. And so I'm looking forward to having some positive news and momentum going on because it's been a little while. Yeah, and it's been sad for me because 2018 was my first class that I covered recruiting-wise, and a lot of these guys were in that class. So it's going to be tough to see them leave and just leave on this kind of sour note. So, you know, TJ Franklin, Gabe Hall, Matt yeah. Jones, Garmin Randolph, um, yeah, tough to see. Overrated. Would you rather see the Big 12 in a four-way tie for first or a six-way tie for second? <laughs> four-way Man, tie for first. Confusing, right? Confusing yeah. stuff. Um, weird stuff by the Big 12 last week to try. Like, the, We're not changing anything, no. but, I mean, I, I didn't like that. I thought that that was a, a mishandling of the situation, which has not been the, the case really too often here as of late, but I think that that was. Um, but I root for chaos, and I would – uh, love to see somehow two of the the holdovers find their way in there, but that's basically impossible at this point. Yeah, I want the four way tie for first because that's the only scenario both Texas and Oklahoma right. don't get into the Big Twelve championship. So there you go, so four way tie yeah. for first. Hopefully, Oklahoma State K State's the Big Twelve title. Yes, probably won't be though. Probably not. <laughs> um, rock probably Oklahoma State Texas, yes, which I don't know how exactly. great that would actually be um, when Ollie Gordon's basically your entire offense and Texas doesn't give up any running whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so knock on wood uh, that somehow we get the chaos scenario. Uh, and if not, then let's hope Oklahoma State <laughs> finds some things to, to be able to, yeah. to figure out and do against Texas. Rockwall Bear, love you guys. Big hugs all around. Appreciate that. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Bearsack is the last season with OU and UT in the conference. Wise down. What's your more preferred outcome? Who makes it a Big 12 championship game and who do you want to win it all? We're just saying, yeah. I mean, I would prefer it to be 
Oklahoma State beats Texas or somehow K-State gets in there and they beat Texas or I want Oklahoma State to win the Big 12 cuz I'm pretty I'm still a little salty about what Chris Kleiman did okay. late in that game yeah. against Baylor. That's that fair. was pretty ridiculous throwing on first down up by 30 something points, but so I'm cheering for Oklahoma State to win it. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but I could totally see that. So yeah, I'll go ahead and say Oklahoma State as well and after their heartbreak a couple of years ago at the hands of Baylor, um, be great for them to be able to hoist that Big 12 trophy. Uh, so, yeah, Oklahoma State getting the win would be cool, but, uh, man, it's just hard to picture that right at the moment. Ollie, Ollie Gordon being as good as he is regardless. Um, let's see, ZT Smith, 423. What would you consider the strength in the team going into the next year if nothing changes, the offense or defense? If nothing changes, then it's probably Blake Shapin and then the cornerbacks, I mean, which is what we already saw. I mean, yeah. the receivers should be a little better with Keytron and Monterey, but even they were a little disappointing this year. Monterey will so, yeah. get some NIL offers, too. I bet. Yeah, and I mean, he'll probably get one from Baylor too, but he was so inconsistent this year at times. He also had an amazing stretch during the season. But yeah, I mean, Blake Shapin's probably your strength. I mean... Yeah, and you know, as much as we've just complimented him, I don't know that that's like really what you want to bank your your, you know, big year on because you got to surround him with more than just your quarterback being your best guy. Like, okay, that's great, but is somebody blocking for him? Is somebody catching the football when he throws it? Is somebody running when he doesn't have to be the guy I with mean, the ball they in his get hands? Better at a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. Doc Crowell, let's say the offensive staff is let go, as some have suggested, and Randy gets one more year. Does he stick with a wide zone offensive mind or get whoever he can get? I know Dino Babers is available now. They're not sure he's interested in any head coach positions. And I don't know what his feelings would be. He was on the Bryle staff back yeah. in the day, so I don't know if he's got any ill will. I don't know that. I'm just saying that's one thing to, to maybe keep in mind, but. Uh, anyways, what are your thoughts here? I think he probably goes away from the wide zone. Probably goes spread offense of some kind. I think but you I, have to. But I don't know that it matters. Right. Like you're, you're bringing in a guy who's just coming in during a season where you know you're on the hot seat. That's a really tough ask for ask for any offensive coordinator. So I, I just I I would assume he'd go spread though. I yeah. I just, I just don't know how you can run the wide zone if you can't block. Right. I mean, if you're retooling the entire offensive line and guarantee that it's going to work out, then I guess you would stick with it. But no, if you're moving on from a coordinator and offense, you're not sticking with the same offense. That would be pointless. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Doc, um, I don't know about uh, the suggestion or just the mention of Dino, because like I said, um, and not sure what his plans are after the Syracuse firing, but uh, yeah, they definitely would change up the offense. Flomo Mike, for schools like Baylor or NIL dollars better spent on high school recruits or up-and-coming sophomores and juniors in college. Thankful for you all. You're entertained. Provide great info, even when the performance is not as expected on the field. Well, Flomo Mike, thank you. Appreciate you. And um, great that you're a listener of ours. Thank yeah, you. the dollars are better spent on transfer portal and guys on your roster. I think the big thing for high school players is that you're showing them a path to making more money if they play well. I think that's what Baylor has to sell to high school athletes, not the initial payment in my eyes. That, I, I just think that's more sustainable for a program like Baylor. You pay for the guys that you know are good, the proven commodities, and then you go from there and you allow your younger guys to kind of grow into that. Yeah, I think um Yeah, I think you got oh man, I think it's just a balancing act at this point. I think if at Baylor you got to have a little bit of both. Like I think you have to have the high school recruits that you kind of bring up, but you can't let that like this year be the focus and be like a big part of your team. Mm-hmm. You need to have the veterans and not just veterans, but like proven can like execute and play right now veterans not roll in and they need to develop for a couple of years i mean what's the point um so yeah i think i think it's gonna have to be spread all around honestly i think you're gonna have to 
Like I said earlier, you got to pay the incoming high school guys or JUCO guys. You got to pay the guys on your team right now, and you got to pay the transfer portal veterans who need to be impact players right away. Right. So um, I don't know if there's a better spent. I think it's kind of for them in their scenario right now. It's across the board, but if you could get ready-made, ready-to-play right now, guys in the transfer portal, that's how you get this thing turned around the quickest. So that might be where you'd want to focus if you can pull that off. Uh, Brick Park will close us out. Thank you, Mike. When a coach is fired, does that give a blanket waiver for any player on the team to transfer? I'm wondering if guys like Sawyer Robertson, Keetron Jackson will be allowed to transfer without sitting a year since they have already used their one free transfer. I think when a coaching change happens, you can transfer. I think you're allowed to transfer whenever. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure on that. So I think they could they could leave if there is a coaching change. Yeah, but there's the one-time transfer rule, so I don't know how that comes into play with a coaching right. change, with though. With coaching, and they've already transferred, but then a coaching change, does that, you know, pass the one-time transfer rule? Well, I'm not really sure. I guess we've got to learn that because yeah. we're going to probably be talking about that to some extent. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, off the top of my head, I get confused with, uh, like, they should not be eligible to transfer based on the fact they just transferred. But if you throw a coaching change into that, I don't know, given that we talk about this all day, every day, like what's past and what's still speculation. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where we are in all of it at this point uh, with that particular rule. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to look up if there's anything here recently on that, but uh, I'll answer it next week. Okay. I'll get a better answer for, yeah. for him. Yeah. So uh, we will see on that. And there's all sorts of articles here that are popping up mm. as far well, as Sawyer might graduate. I would think. So he'd be able to transfer as a grad transfer, kind of like what Tyler Shuck is doing at Texas Tech. And Keytron might be in the same boat, actually. He might be able to. Um, I don't know how far he's down on his eligibility. But. Here we go. There are three reasons why an undergrad transfer waiver. So if you if you graduate, obviously you can go wherever you want to. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, if Sawyer graduated, he could go. But for uh, the way to be a multiple-time transfer, for reasons related to their physical or mental well-being due to – uh, circumstances outside the control, um, assertions involving... Okay, that's that's not what I was we'll, looking we'll for. We'll answer it next yeah. week. But, Craig, we got to get into our quick prediction of Baylor, West Virginia before we head out today. We got a lot of stuff coming up in the studio. So, Baylor versus West Virginia. Uh, West got? Virginia wins, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you got for the, by at least for the 10, score? By at least 10. At least 10. Yeah, yeah. probably 38... Uh, 23. Okay. Something like that. So you think Baylor will compete? Some. Kind of maybe like last week for a little while. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually they, you know, Mountaineers pull away. Yeah. I got West Virginia 34 20. I think they, they, they're just the better football team. And sadly, Baylor goes out on senior night with a tough, tough loss. But I will get that question answered in the mailbag next week. Uh, go back and, and look through that. Yeah, I want to make sure we get it right, and we are short on time. So, Brick, uh, thank you for the question, and we'll roll back around to that. But uh, guess what? We'll have plenty of time to talk about these sorts of things moving forward because there's only one game to go. And uh, next week it'll be full on to the off season, and then uh, also into to basketball as well. But it's going to be a busy football offseason, that's for sure. And most of this podcast will remain dedicated to that as usual. Um, so, yeah, get ready for uh, a lot of news coming out. Uh, anything before we go here? No, I think I think that's it for this week. But we'll be back with a, a big, big week next week. A lot to talk about, I'm sure. Yep, or at least some answers to some questions. Mm -hmm. That will that will have it the very minimum. But uh, thank you for uh, the production behind the scenes by Jack McKenzie. Thank you to Grayson Grunhafer as well. And thanks to all of you that uh, watch either on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 page, which if you're on there, please hit like and subscribe. Or after the fact on your favorite 
Fact on your favorite podcast app. Thankful for all of you out there listening. Have a great Thanksgiving week, and uh, we will talk to you next Tuesday. It's been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com and Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 YouTube page.